This is the Off Grid Agris Podcast. This podcast is about sharing our journeys into liberty through self-sufficiency, off-grid living, non-compliance, counter-economics, and the Agora. Every episode will contain useful, practical, and applicable information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. This information is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. You could even consider it to be fictional if you choose. Before we start the show, I want to remind you about The Hitching Post, our free bi-weekly newsletter all about liberty through self-sufficiency and counter-economics. To sign up, go to offgridagorist.com newsletter or click the link in the show notes. Thanks. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Off-Grid Agorist podcast. I am your host, Regina, and I am here with Cyrus. Hello. And it's been a while, yeah, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, we uh, we kind of slacked on the recordings there for a little while, but you had a lot going on, so you know you needed yeah. a little break for some time. And but we're back. We are back in action, guys. And and in video. Coming back at you, also in video on YouTube. Yeah. For now, until they shut us down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but, you know, I had some personal life catastrophes that uh, kind of kept rolling through. Uh, some health issues, financial issues, uh, off-grid issues, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and whine about my problems. But, you Thank know, you. we're just... Uh, Oh, you're welcome for that. <laughs> That's all the whining I'm going to do, guys. But, you know, we're regrouping, and uh, we have awesome topics to talk about. We've been trying to do this official relaunch for months now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've finally arrived. Yeah, we're ready. Yeah, we're ready for this, so... Off-grid agorist, here we come. We're off-grid and we're agorists. And we're going to talk about what agorism is today. Yeah, the, um, you know, a lot of people kind of get confused about what agorism is. And we've done a lot of topics. We've done a lot of episodes around agorism and we've tried to break it down a little bit. But today I was thinking that we could just go over, like, what are the main points of agorism? Like, you can dive into agorism and read a bunch of different books and watch a bunch of different videos. And every time you do that, you're going to gain something new about agorism. But there are some pretty key components that if you understand those, everything else will be much easier to understand once you encounter it. And I thought we might go over that today. Awesome. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. We're also yes. going to do a little uh, a little off-grid. Uh, for me, it's an off-grid rant. So I can get my, <laughs> you know, whining out there. Just some insights into being off-grid now for about, oh, it's been about eight months now. Right. Um, and then our last little piece is going to be the uh, a little current event topic, which we're talking about vaccine mandates and how you can get around it. We have a pretty awesome solution for you guys if you live in an area yeah. where they want to make you get the jab. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's, a, it's an effective solution. So stay tuned. 
Well, no, that'll be our last segment. I mean, specifically, we're talking about New York, right? Right now, it's just New York, but right, you know, right. it's always like the East Coast and the West Coast set the example. They're like the guinea pig states, and then it kind of yeah. trickles into the innards of America. So, right. it's good to get prepared now. Um, so, stay tuned till the end. I also want to, you know, shamelessly plug our website, offgridagorist.com. Uh, we've got some free PDFs you can download about, shoot, about being an agorist and how to survive in this crazy, tyrannical system. Mm-hmm. And we have a really cool book. What's our book called again? I, like, forget the name. <laughs> uh, how to Build a Stealth Business Using Counter-Economics. Oh, yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is a great name. Yes. Uh, we're counter-economists, basically meaning... Um, Screw the government. We don't want to pay into your tyrannical tax system. And the book pretty much tells you how to do that. Uh, since we first released the book, there's actually been a lot of changes uh, to surveillance and monitoring and regulation and taxation. So there are some upgrades to the book. There are some revisions in there. So I would suggest, uh, you know, maybe picking that up and seeing how you can navigate this insanity that we're in (laughs) if you're an entrepreneur business owner side hustler that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then there's the uh, 131 what's that pdf that most people have downloaded 131 way 131 counter economic business ideas yeah that's not the proper title, but that's, I mean, we give you 131 ideas of how to start a stealth business. Right. On, yeah. on different business ideas where you're keeping all the dollars you earn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got a lot of good stuff on there. Offgridagorist.com. You can message us there, too. So uh, without further ado, Cyrus, take it away. Uh, agorism recap. I, like, totally forgot what agorism is, and I'm an agorist, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I kind of came up with a couple of definitions. There's a lot of different definitions out there. If you just Google agorism or counter-economics, there's a lot of different definitions. And so I kind of came up with what the simplest way to state those uh, for new people. So agorism is a social philosophy advocating that all interactions between people should be voluntary and any coercive regulation of those interactions are detrimental to a free society. So basically, as long as me and another person are consensually volunteering into an agreement, whatever that agreement is, it shouldn't matter to anybody else. And any kind of state regulation, which is always a coercive regulation, is bad for a free society. Wow. So that's that's the basics of, <clears throat> you know, that's the nuts of agorism. It's you just said a, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, it's just a philosophy. Okay. Agorism so is let's... a philosophy. That's... A lot of people get confused there and they'll use uh, counter-economics and agorism. They'll interchange those words, and which is okay. Most agorists are still going to follow your conversation and know what you're talking about, even if you're exchange, you know, interchanging those words, but they don't mean the same thing. 
can we use like a live example of what you just said? Because that was like a really big package to unfold. Okay, sure. Um, God, we could just make up any one of them. Okay, if if I have a particular disorder, disease, illness, and I want to buy a particular medication that someone says this could help you and I believe them and I want to take it, but the government says that's experimental and you can't buy it yet. That's detrimental to a free society. If I'm not forcing someone to give me the medicine I want, and if someone is not forcing me to take the medication that they think I should have and it's consensual, then the government has no place in it. Hmm. So, you know, the argument is that, well, the government has your best interests at heart and they're trying to protect you from bad medications. And we can do a whole nother episode disproving that shit because that's not what they're in the business of doing. They're in the business of creating monopolies for their friends in pharmaceutical when it comes to the FDA. Right. So, um, you know, that's one example. Uh, prostitution is like the most common agorist example. You know, if if somebody wants to exchange a sexual act for compensation, if nobody's being forced, then no one else has any say in it. Right. Yes, because when the government gets involved and they make things illegal, that's really when the bad stuff comes in. Yeah, that's the regulation is what creates the violence in most instances. You know, yes. we've seen that. We saw that with prohibition back in the day. <clears throat> we we saw it with the drug war. Um, you know, the, it is the reg, it is the government coercive regulation that creates the violent criminal enterprises that surround any black market. Exactly. Which is really, it's really fascinating to think about. So let's use like the drug example. Okay. Let's use the drug example. Because that re- that one really got to me. Because at first, when we were talking about it, like let's say heroin, for example. Well, heroin should be illegal because it hurts people and it kills people and it creates mm-hmm. cartels and it, you know, creates drug dealers and all this stuff. And your argument is that who are we to say what someone puts in their body? It's their choice, right? Yeah, it might be harmful to them, but that's not my business. So the people who will argue for criminalization of, say, heroin will say things like, um, uh, they're, they're a drain on the healthcare, uh, the healthcare system, Okay. That's why it's my business that it's harmful to them because they're drained on the healthcare system that I help pay for. Well, the answer to that is you shouldn't be paying for that either. Like, right. That's a coercive regulation. You're being forced to pay for someone else's bad choices. I'm against that also. And, mm-hmm. and the other thing might be that, well, there's all kinds of, you know, there's violence and there's, uh, gangs that control the supply of, heroin and they kill people and they kill each other and they have wars in the streets and yeah because it's a black market and if it was legal that black market would not be there and as a heroin user 
someone would have a choice between this drug dealer or that drug dealer or many different drug dealers, rather than only having the choice of the thug who's hiding in the alley and is up to no good anyway, because he's hiding from, uh, you know, the, the authorities. Right. So if you had more choices as a heroin user, you would be able to, the, the good actors in the heroin industry would be rewarded with more business than the bad actors and the bad actors would eventually become minimal, if not extinct. I mean, it's, it's like if you were to say, it's same thing with alcohol is probably easier example because we can see both sides of that. We can't really see the side of, uh, uh, legal heroin. Like none of us have lived through that. So it's hard to imagine, but alcohol, we, uh, you know, the, when prohibition was in place, that's when the Al Capones of the world became powerful. And now you don't see, you don't see, uh, local liquor stores having shootouts. Right. Nobody is killing anybody over a bottle of vodka because it's legal. Yeah. So your options are, you know, all of your options now are good options, but they weren't always. During prohibition, your, op- your options were you know, a few people who were, you know, selling liquor and doing it, you know, they're doing just fine. They weren't hurting anybody or anything like that. But your options were also there with like the Al Capone types who were forcing mm-hmm. their will on other people and other businesses. And, you know, they had the power to do these things and they had the resources to do these things because prohibition was so profitable that they had the finances to force their will on a community. Wow. It's, it's so like mind blowing, you know, when you really get into applying agorism, not just Mm -hmm. the philosophy, but the applicable agorism, which is what we're all about. How do we apply these principles and philosophies to our daily lives in a real use method and just using the heroin thing and, and, you know, let's say, it was legal and you could walk into a nice clean environment where you know that you're going to get a good high quality heroin to mm. use that is safe you're in a safe environment and it just becomes a transaction just like an out al- a transaction for alcohol and a transaction for marijuana mm-hmm. and you you take the criminality out of it and you know, you know what? It's somebody's choice. Let's say uh, this heroin user is a terminally ill cancer patient, and they're just trying to get through their end of life. You know, who are we to tell them not, not to? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And on the same side of that coin, who are we to tell somebody who just wants to use it recreationally and ends up ruining their life? We we still don't have any business telling them they can't do that. Well, people do that with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and really people, people do it with pot, too. <laughs> sure. Any vice has the potential for running your life, but that doesn't mean it should be illegal. Yeah. Who is the government to tell us what substance we can and cannot use? Mm-hmm. For example, uh, this administration, they were talking about 
banning menthol cigarettes. Okay, okay. but regular cigarettes are okay, but menthols are bad because it appeals to kids more, which is not true. I don't think kids like menthols, but... Uh, so they were talking about, you know, banning flavored, the flavored vape stuff, and then they kind of threw menthol cigarettes in there. Who are they to yeah. tell us that we can't smoke menthol cigarettes? Who right. are these people? They're control and, freaks. And almost always, if you dig deep enough into the politics of these kinds of criminalizing substances, there's al there's almost always a lobby behind that to give preferential treatment to one portion of the industry or another. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm not familiar with the menthol thing, so I couldn't tell you what it is, but I'll bet you if I dug into it, I could find it. There's a oh, motive yeah. behind it that is, that has nothing to do with protecting children from menthol cigarettes. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's the saddest part is, you know, it's always for our better good, quote mm -hmm. unquote. Uh, but the reality is it's just all about the money, the greed, the power, right? the corporations, the lobbyists. There's always ulterior motives right? for the quote-unquote better good. So, Yeah, so that's the idea around um, voluntary <clears throat> exchanges between individuals. That's what agorism is really all about. And then counter-economics is the yeah. other main point of agorism. So the counter-economy is the sum total of all voluntary and nonviolent interaction that is prohibited or regulated by the state. All of it from a garage sale without a permit to whatever you can think of that's nonviolent and consensual. That's all the yeah. counter economy. So a lot of times when people talk about the, the counter economy, because people are so uh, conditioned to fear illegal things that they think the counter economy is only all the bad stuff. And the bad stuff is included in the counter economy. But there's lots of stuff that is not bad that's in the counter economy. Right. You know, there are... Everyone is involved in the counter economy to one degree or another because mainly because there are so many laws and regulations half the time in your day, you're doing something that's regulated and you don't even know it. You're probably so breaking much. the law half the time you're alive. Yeah. And you don't I know, even know I am you're breaking the law. <laughs> yeah. The, the main thing is that it's all consensual. Now, when you get into non-consensual is where, you know, cause it's about consent Right. It's all about consent and nonviolence and non-coercion. And the, you know, we can do, we've done an episode on the five different markets described by agorism, and we can do another. Um, but there are also, you know, there's the gray and black market, which is where agorism plays those two markets. And I won't get into all the specifics of that. There's the white market, which is the government market. That is everything that's sanctioned and legal by the government. And then there's the pink and the red market, which are violent markets, which agorism does not condone. And that would consist of like forced prostitution, uh, human trafficking, mm -hmm. human slavery, murder, uh, snuff films, murder, 
you know, guns for hire, war. Yeah. Yeah. So most people don't even think of war as a market, but it most definitely is. But they, they put that in the pink market as opposed to the red market because war is sanctioned by the state. So it's yes. totally legal to go to war and murder people across the planet. It's totally legal. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But it's true. It's it's just like so messed up. Mm-hmm. When you start dissecting it, when you start dissecting things from an agorist point of view, you just start to realize how inverted our government is and how backwards it is and how it does the exact opposite of what they claim to do. You know, it's mm-hmm. supposed to be for the people. It's really against the people. Mm-hmm. It's anti-human, really, when yeah. you start breaking it down. Yeah, it's it's a ruling class forcing their will on everyone else. That Exactly. It's medieval times. Mm-hmm. It's We're just, all a bunch uh, of serfs in medieval times. Yeah, they've just, uh, they found a new way to package it that sounds awesome. You know, they call it democracy and... And you choose your you choose your ruler, you know. Oh please! They they package <laughs> the it nicely. Farce. It's it's a great. It has been a great two hundred and fifty year old campaign marketing yeah. campaign. It's a marketing campaign to get mm-hmm. you to subordinate to be a serf in their medieval kingdom, basically. Right. <laughs> the peasants, and, you know. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to the last point that I wanted to make, because, you know, people would say, well, why, you know, why do you even say that? People don't want to rule other people. Why would they even want to anymore? So within the philosophy of agorism, there is two class structures, just like in socialism and communism, you know, they define class structures. Well, agorism, the philosophy of agorism also has its own class structures defined and They're pretty simple. There are those who earn a living through the market, and there are those who earn a living through coercion. Those are the only two classes. And so some people go through their entire life earning money by forcing other people to give them money. And so the the goal of agorism is to nonviolently overthrow the second class of people who are forcing other people to provide them a living. For example, a and that would be politician okay. Yeah, give us some with, examples. Yeah. Anyone who receives a check that is supplied to them by tax dollars. You have you have accepted money that has been forcibly taken from someone else. And you know, we can we can argue about whether it was forcibly taken or not, some people um, voluntarily pay their taxes. But the truth of the matter is they only voluntarily pay their taxes because they don't want to go to jail. So they're being forced to pay taxes. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm and I'm we're not here to denigrate. Is that a real word? Yes. Uh, the people who are making a living as a police officer or as a teacher or, you know, we're not slamming those people because they, they are, they're, they've grown up within a system that says it's a good thing. It's honorable to do that. And 
protecting other people is honorable. Teaching children is honorable. All those things are honorable. But it should still be done voluntarily. Right. You know, taking my money that I've that I've earned, taking third, I mean, huge amounts of money. Mm -hmm. We're looking at 30 percent. They're taken at least. Yeah. Yeah. 30, 40, 50 percent. So they can spend it how they see fit. Okay, I can guarantee you if if 30 percent of my tax dollars were allocated mostly to teachers and mostly to police officers and mostly to firefighters. I might feel different about it, mm-hmm. but just a sliver, just a sliver is going to these things. Right. The majority is going to corporate bailouts, right. overseas lobbying crap, mm-hmm. politicians' pockets, and the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Well, and... For me, I see it a little bit differently because I don't care. Like, yes, I think there should be teachers. But teachers used to be paid on a voluntary basis. The community got together. They found a teacher that they liked. The teacher taught the kids of the community and they paid that teacher a salary or they supplied that teacher with a home or any number of ways to create an exchange that would be beneficial for the teacher and the community. For the majority of time, that was not done with tax dollars. And so to say that it couldn't be done is ridiculous. Same with uh, security. The community would get together. They would hire a, a lawman and that lawman would be responsible for protecting the community and bringing bad guys to justice. He was not responsible for writing tickets for walking across the road incorrectly or for, you know, not obeying some ridiculous ordinance or, you know, that that was not the job of the town marshal or sheriff or whatever. His job was just security. That's it. And the community paid him voluntarily. And if he didn't do a job that they liked, they got rid of him and they hired a new one. You know, we don't have that choice now. We have a police department that runs itself and the community has no say in how it's ran. Uh, The community can barely get anybody fired if they want a police officer who's acted badly. If they want him fired, it's a year-long process that most of the time doesn't work. And every now and then you can get a cop fired if if he's acted poorly. But most of the time you can't. Most of the time, he's given time, paid time off while the whole thing is situated. He gets a vacation, a paid vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, again, we're not we're not bashing people in these positions, but we're saying there's a better way for these roles to be filled that does not include coercion. Well, the government has basically insulated these industries. Right. You know, through bureaucratic bullshit to where... Mm -hmm. They've become so inefficient and they become so wasteful, but no one can stop it because yeah. they are now this horrible middleman. Right. It's like they and interfere in the middle of everything. They're just a massive interference. Yeah. And they've given themselves immunity against prosecution. You know, right. That for... Uh, 
And I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, public officials can do things regular citizens could never get away with doing because they have immunity from prosecution in most instances. Like, all, all a politician or a police officer or a bureaucrat has to say is, you know, I, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was right. doing the right thing. You know, but now if if I were to stand in front of a judge and say I thought I was doing the right thing, that doesn't it doesn't even matter. Like he'd laugh at you, he'd throw you in the you. slammer, yeah, put you in the prison system, which is another mm-hmm. you know money making scheme. Right. Oh man! And, and if you want to look that up, it's called qualified immunity. Just look it up; you'll you'll see. Qualified immunity. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they they basically are in a an insulated bubble of the untouchables. Yeah. Yeah. They've created yeah. their own monopoly on violence. Yeah. There's a great, no, they like there's, to... yeah. there's a great show called monopoly on violence too, that was put together a year or two ago that I think you can even now watch it on um, like Amazon prime, but it's all over YouTube. It's a great, great video. If you want to watch, it's about an hour long, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I have to look that up. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, give us a nut, a little elevator nutshell. Uh, yeah, the, the definition of agorism is the nutshell. The, philosophy, the social philosophy advocating all interactions between people should be voluntary, and any coercive regulation of those interactions are detrimental to a free society. That's the nutshell. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love it. Yep. All right. Well, is it time to move on to our uh, our next segment here? Yeah, I've covered it. I've covered what I wanted to cover from that. Yep. Man. Yeah, that's a lot. I might have to like, that's something you got to listen to maybe two or three times to get it to really sink in, you know? A lot of information packed into 20 minutes, but it's very fascinating. And we have a ton, a ton of episodes about agorism. If you want to look into our archives, if you want to get more deep divey into certain topics, we, we dive pretty deep. So, yeah. And, and what we can do on our, um, on our podcast hosting platform, I've created a play, I've created different playlists. So within this episode in the show notes or in the YouTube description, I can put a link to the agorism playlist. So it's every, all of our episodes that have to do with agorism in one playlist. So you can avoid, you know, if you're, if you're not wanting to listen to our episodes about current events or about off-grid living and things like that, you can easily find all of our agorism episodes in one playlist. Awesome. All right. So I have a rant. I need to rant because we've been off grid. We've been off grid now for like eight months, right? We started in January. Our living situation changed where we had to like rapidly move onto the property and nothing was really set up. So that Mm -hmm. was a challenge on its own. And I know you did that too, Cyrus, where you just jumped in. Yeah. Um, which is super challenging. But my but rant is... It gets the what? job done. It, it, it's you almost like in, you have to just do it that way. Yeah, when you just jump <laughs> in head first, it gets the job done. And then you've got right. modifications to make after the fact. 
Right. You just kind of have to do it that way. Uh, but my rant is that we can't afford to do anything to our property because the prices of everything has skyrocketed oh God, to know. unattainable levels that all of our projects are now thousands of dollars to do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very disheartened. I'm, I'm like so disgruntled and disheartened. And we've been touting, you know, for we've been urging people to go off grid and touting for people to go off grid for a year now on this podcast and for longer mm -hmm. on our websites. We've been talking about it for years. Right. You know, I started Maximum Off Grid in 2018, uh, even before I was off grid. But now that I'm out here and I'm just looking at, I mean, I have spent all my cash. Like, I am broke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I had reserves and they're blasted through. Gone. Huh? They're just gone. Not that I don't have, I have reserves of other assets because, you know, I talk a lot about gold and silver and crypto and, you know, stealing yourself against dollar, but... Well, you're talking as about your as, liquid cash. Yeah, it's gone, man. It's gone, mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I have a whole lot to show for it. So, you know, I guess my warning is to people thinking about going off-grid right now is, you better be handy as fuck. Like, you better be able to build your own stuff. You better be able to scavenge your own materials because the cost to even attempt to go off-grid right now is unfreaking believable Like, we're yeah. at a, we're at a standstill with our projects. Yeah. Materials what we got is what we got. And the, the yeah. downside for that, for me also, is because I salvage stuff. I rarely buy new materials. So that part of it doesn't affect me much, except that because material costs are so high, everybody is salvaging so I was salvaging gonna ask has become you that. more difficult. Yeah. That was one of my big questions for you was how is the um, the salvaging thing going? Because that's how you've built your entire off-grid lifestyle. Mm -hmm. All of your structures have been salvaged. So you've basically done everything for pennies on the dollar. So I figured, okay, if the primary new stuff is gone through the roof, is how is the secondary used stuff going? Yeah, so Not secondary good. use stuff is more valuable. So the mark the market dictates the price and so the price of used stuff has gone up and the availability of free stuff like if you get on if you get on uh, the Facebook marketplace where they put free things, that stuff is gone. Like you got you've got to get to it fast. And I'm I'm in the favorable position of being a remodeler by trade. And so most of my salvaging comes from jobs that I'm on and I get, you know, I get first option on salvage stuff. So that's a favorable that's position nice, for yeah. me to be in that most people aren't going to be in. Right. Yeah, this whole dream of like, you know, going off grid and homesteading and, and having chickens and animals and, and farming and growing food. It's like you're almost priced out of the market to even build these things that you're going to need. So, for example, uh, you know, we looked into raising like a cattle or some goats for meat. Mm -hmm. The price of 
fencing materials is thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to build a cattle pen. What like one cattle pen thingy, you know, one mm-hmm. side of it. Yeah. I want to say they want like 500 bucks for that right now. Right. So to build a small cattle pen, you're looking at $3,000 just to put the damn cow in. Right. <laughs> well, and so, you know, whereas before you might have been, a, been in a position where you could have done these things fairly quickly, now it's just a matter of time. It's just going to be slower for you. You know, so well, if you could have got the... a, if you if you have a thousand dollars to spend on a cattle pen and a year and a half ago, a thousand dollars would have built a cattle pen. Now it's three thousand dollars. So, you know, it takes you three times as long to gather the money to buy the stuff. You know, right now the variable is time as opposed to money. Well, and what, you know, what is the return on that investment? And that's mm-hmm. where I'm thinking, okay, so not only are you building the damn cattle pen, you got to feed this thing. Mm-hmm. And unless you're very fortunate to where you have a plethora of grass or you can grow your own feed, the feed prices have gone up exorbitantly as well. Mm-hmm. So what is your return? And that's what we're looking at. So we're, we were talking about doing uh, chickens, you know. Let's build up a chicken coop. Mm-hmm. And by the time we build the coop, which is used to be hundreds of dollars, is now thousands. To build a to build a good chicken run would probably cost you fifteen hundred bucks in uh, lumber and materials, and that's not even including their laying house. Mm. By the time you build that, by the time you get the chickens, and by the time you pay for all the feed, is it even worth it? You know. Right. As far as dollars and cents, it's not worth it. You have to be motivated by a higher, a higher cause or a higher purpose. Yeah. Or just like I said, spend more time doing it. Salvage. I mean, there's the salvage stuff is still out there. Um, yeah. I'm not familiar with your local area, but it, it's non-existent here. Mm. Um people just don't give it away people you know and if they do give it away it's in such poor condition you don't want to build anything out of it yeah uh you can't we could go about an hour away to the tucson area and there's lots of free things and we could probably do it closer to tucson but that's a two-hour round trip that's going to cost me 30 bucks in gas yeah so it doesn't make sense you know so we're just kind of in this conundrum and i had to vent (laughs) um farm equipment insane uh one of our customers is a rancher and he's got i don't know 500 head of cattle and he's got a good basic setup but he still needs equipment and he went to go look at a baler because he has lots of he's got a lot of hay growing you know they irrigate and have Mm -hmm. hay and stuff and he said well normally they're about 15 grand you know you go to the auction house you can get a good baler for about 15 grand the two balers that were available, he got outbid on. They're still getting bid on, and they're at $25,000. Good grief. And he's like, I don't even know how I'm going to bail my hay right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you have to sell so, it out. I don't or at least like... here, here there are people that will bail hay for you. 
they'll they have the equipment. They'll come bale your hay for a portion of your hay. But right. I don't know how it's done out there. I think that's what he's probably going to have to do is is some sort of rental service, rent the equipment, you know, have someone come in, pay the person and do it for them, which I think is where it's kind of heading. Yeah. Uh, we were looking at possibly buying a tractor and, you know, these things are like the price of a new truck, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my God, we can't even get a used tractor for under 15, 20 grand. What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's just going to come down to renting. You know, have your projects lined out, rent your tractor for the weekend, get what you need to get done, pay the $1,000, $1,500 to rent it. Mm-hmm. Same with farm equipment. Uh, but the the difficulty level of going off-grid has ratcheted up by probably 500%. Right, because things, you know, things have changed. Things have gotten worse. Costs have gone up because of the changes. And this is why... Years ago, people were saying, get off grid, get off grid, you know, but, um, yeah, I'm with you. The cost of materials is crazy. I got, I got excited it's... the other day cause I was going to pick up uh, plywood from the store for a job and I walk in and the guy goes, Hey, plywood has come down in price. I was like, Oh, good. Finally, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it was $37. So it, you know, oh came down from 48 to 37. And two years ago, I could what buy it for steal. eight. Yeah. For eight. Eight, two years ago, for it was $8. Eight. The same sheet was $8 two years ago. And now uh, the price has come down to 37. I'm supposed to be wow. thankful. Yeah, that's what makes me like, that's what disgusts me about this whole thing is they're like, oh, it's come down. You know, the government's trying to sell us on, oh, the prices have come down, folks. Mm. No, at a very much higher high. You're right. Yeah. At a very, very much higher high. So we we, built. We talked about this months ago that we predicted that the prices would come down, but that they would never, you know, it was part of this, in my opinion, was a ploy to hide inflation. So the prices shoot way up and then they come down a little bit. The prices are still heavily inflated, but people are thankful that, you know, that that 37 dollar piece of plywood is no longer $48, but it's still heavily inflated. And I think that was by design. That Oh, definitely by design. They try mm-hmm. and blame it on supply and demand and, and shipping issues and this and that. But the reality is, is you can't print $4 trillion within a year. You cannot inflate your money supply by 30%. You cannot give people thousands upon thousands of dollars. For nothing. And not ex- expect inflation to happen. This is textbook inflation. Right. You inflate the money supply, the prices go up. Right. Even if there was no supply-demand issue. That's only exacerbated it. But the reality is, they have printed us into freaking oblivion. And so our prices are going to oblivion right along with it. Yeah. Uh, Just a couple more examples I want to spit out, and then I'll get off my rant here. Um, We built a 1,500-square-foot crop cage, a fully enclosed in chicken wire. It's an amazing thing. We've had the best crop we've ever had in our lives because birds can't get in. Deer Mm -hmm. can't get in. (laughs) 
right. nothing can get into the the crop fortress, which is amazing. Had we built that fortress in 2019, it probably would have cost us 500 bucks. It cost us two thousand dollars to yeah. build this thing. <laughs> two thousand dollars. That's a quadruple. Okay, I couldn't right. afford. I couldn't afford it before. Okay, I sure as hell can't afford it now. Yeah. We bought a pump from Tractor Supply, a transfer pump for our water because we uh, uh, we haul our water IBC tank uh, on a trailer, and we you know we transfer it to a stationary IBC tank, and we bought that pump three months ago for two hundred dollars. We went to the store because okay, what happened is is the motor went out in it. I mean, it just went kaput. Yeah, it worked great until it went kaput. Went to Tractor Supply to return the pump. There were no pumps on the shelves. There was one pump left. When we bought it, there was 30 pumps. There was one pump left. Same pump costed double, $400. Oh, so we bought for $200 three months ago, $400 today. That's crazy. So my advice, I guess, because, you know, we're solution-oriented folks. We don't like to rant without a solution. Okay, there's there's ideas. I have ideas for you. The first idea is get a piece of property and put an RV on it and basically boondock on your property. Your mm -hmm. your RV's already built. You already have most of your systems in place. Get a few solar panels. Live lean on electricity. You can haul water. Fill up your your clean water tank that's a good solution around not having exorbitant building costs. Right. You can still get good deals on used RVs. Uh, second solution, live in your, live in your national forest and learn, really learn to hunt, scavenge, collect, harvest, harvest yeah. uh, natural water. There's a lot of people that boondock on BLM land. Yeah. And if you get remote enough, like you only have to move but once or twice a season. Is that because uh, there's just not people out there checking the area? So you're you're cheating the rules a little bit? or do, are Yeah, the you're bending the rules. Yeah. Get okay. to know your ranger, you know, get to know your local ranger and have a chat with them and and uh he might not bother you so much to move. Right. Um but I would say the prime time to go off grid like we caught like the very end of the prime time to go off grid. And so we were able to really like at least be stable. So we have our um you know, our solar power, they sent me mm -hmm. a notice. They raised their prices 25% and we bought pre, pre that. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of just barely got in, but if you're looking at getting into off grid now, just be forewarned, you know, you either need a lot of money or you need to be very resourceful and very handy. Yeah. The other thing to consider too is, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? Oh, that's a good point. 
So, you know, two years from now, will prices be better or worse? And of course, nobody can answer that, but waiting might not be the right answer. I don't see the easy way out of this solution or this, yep. uh, this situation with the, the inflation. The only way in the only way they can cap inflation is for them to raise interest rates because the Fed has used all their ammo. If they keep printing money, if they keep propping up the economy, which they're doing with another $1.2 trillion, we're going to see inflation after effect from this $1.2 trillion yeah. bill. Yeah. Well, and $3.5 trillion budget bill. I mean, I personally, I don't see it getting better. I see it getting worse. Because like you said, the they've, only run out way... of, they've run out of bullets. So their only option is to raise interest rates. And I'm not even sure that solves the problem anymore. I think it would take a combination of raising interest rates and drastically reducing government spending, which no politician is willing to do. No, it only gets more and more. And uh, well, raising interest rates will crash the housing market, will crash the stock mm -hmm. market. And they're trying, they're really trying their hardest to not do that. So. Right. It's going to be interesting to see, but that is a good point. Will it continue to get worse? And my, I would put 70% yes. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's getting better. So, sorry that was so doom and gloomy. Usually I'm really optimistic and positive <laughs> on the off-grid portion of things, but. You've had a, you've had a tough month. It's been a tough month. <laughs> it's been a tough six months. So here we are. But yeah. we're off grid and we love it. We love being on our property and in the wilderness and growing our own food and being self-sufficient. So, you know, there's all that. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, our final segment, it's going to be quick, guys. We're not going to keep you here much longer because this episode is getting long. But final segment, um, current event. Uh, mm -hmm. indoor vaccine mandate in New York in order to go into a restaurant or I, I guess anywhere. I don't know. Does it qualify for the public library, hospitals, uh, you know, all these essential living, you know, spaces? I'm not sure, but I know it's at least for the restaurants is you walk into that restaurant, you better have at least one jab or else you can't go in. Yeah. And you have the big thing is you have to show proof. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a, apparently in New York, there's some sort of government app on your phone that you can just pull your account up and show people that you've uh, received a vaccine or you can show your vaccine card that you received when you got the vaccine. And that's that's how at this point in time, that is how they are. Uh, what's the word? Not regulate. That's the, that's how they're enforcing it. Yeah. And so, you know, as a, as a freedom lover, you think that's ridiculous, right? Why I'm just because I choose not to get, whether, regardless of what your position is on the vaccine, the idea that you are going to be limited because you don't make a specific choice is against freedom, period. I mean, you can make whatever Period. argument you want to make and say that if you don't get a vaccine, you're placing other people in danger. You can make all those kinds of arguments if you'd like, but it's still against freedom. 
to force mm-hmm. me to make a specific choice. And so that in and of itself is ridiculous. But as an agorist, what you do is, first of all, you make a choice. If it if they're saying I can't go into a restaurant, a bar, a gym or entertainment venue, I can make a choice to not go to any of those places. I'll stop going out mm-hmm. to eat. I'm no longer going to the gym and I'm not going to go to any more concerts, ball games or whatever. That's the first thing you can do as an agorist. The next thing you can do as an agorist is find a way out around it. And for now, there's a simple way around that New York law. That if you, if you go find the videos where they're showing you the two different ways you can verify that you've been vaccinated, one is a little card and it's just a paper card. That's it. There's no nothing on it to scan. It just like has your name and the date and some kind of little sticker from that says Pfizer, or what the hell ever, some number, right? So just forge that. It's it's simple, right? Just forge it. There's there's not going to be any kind of restaurant that is going to be trained to spot the forged vaccination card. They're not going to do that. Most of the restaurants are not even going to want to be doing what they're being forced to do, which is check for vaccines. Right. You know, and that would be another thing as an agorist. If I'm an agorist and a restaurant owner, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it until they come force me like guys with guns show up and close my doors and chain them shut. Right. Yeah. The simple solution is uh, have a forged uh, vaccine paperwork. And right now the infrastructure is not there to test if it's real. You know, at right. some point they might have a barcode to scan on it that goes into a ba- database that says, okay, you've been vaccinated, but that's not here yet. Right. And it won't be here for a while because that's a massive infrastructure. That's like a lot of uh, devices and scanners that were already short on all of these things. Mm-hmm. The electronics, you know, coming out of China where they're not getting them so quickly. So you can you can use a forged vaccine card probably for at least a year or two. Yeah. And then if they ever do come up with uh, some sort of technology that makes the card obsolete, then we just call on the agorist hackers to forge whatever that system is. You know, find a hack around that system. And at that point, you're going to have to pay for it, you know, because the agorist hacker needs to be paid for his value that he's offering and then you know unless unless the government's using blockchain technology to do this it's it's going to be hackable which they won't they won't use blockchain technology because they're resisting that Mm -hmm. it seems at all costs for whatever reason um but yes i can ascertain to you and our audience that i will do whatever it takes to find and secure forged vaccine documents, forged vaccine passports. I This is like my mission is mm. to get around this because I will not take the jab. The reason I will not take the jab is because it is violent for anyone to enforce anything for me to put into my body that I don't want in there. Right. I feel that it's, a, it's violent. Yeah, it is. It's an act it of aggression for sure. Yeah, it's coercion, it's enforcement, it's 
or else, get the vaccine or else. And I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to not live life. I'm going to go to freaking restaurants and I'm going to go on airplanes and I'm going to go on vacation. And if I have to pay $5,000 for a vaccine passport that scans into the system, I'm going to do it. And I will find it and I will tell all of you how to find it. I will yeah. find the seller. I'll tell you the I'll tell you how to get on the deep web. I'll tell you how to access the marketplace. I will find the seller. I'll be the first one to take the hit, to take the risk of, okay, am I gonna get ripped off or am I gonna get the real deal? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the freaking results so we can all uh, circumvent this tyrannical, violent mandate that is based on nonsense. Right. Now, if they put a microchip in you, you know, okay, that's like a little extreme. Then it's like, okay, peace out, guys. Because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's what they really want. They really want you to just have it all microchipped that they can scan it, you know. That's like 10, that's like, that technology is not accessible for the entire world. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> well, and at that point, you just become, you know, it becomes science fiction at that point, and you become part of the resistance, and you're in the woods. <laughs> that I'm in the woods at that point. Yeah, I don't care yeah. about going to the bar if you've got to scan a microchip implanted in my body. That's uh, that's biblical shit. That's apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I will. I I will. Uh, this will be my mission. I'm going to start looking into it now. I'm going to start looking into vaccine documentation and start looking at it and seeing what it looks like and maybe i'll make my own maybe i'll make it available to download for free i don't know that might be pushing it i will not do that because there's a hundred thousand dollar fine for fake vaccine passports yeah so i will do that quote unquote not participate in that but if i were to participate in that i would uh you know make it available for everyone to download for free (laughs) Yeah, if we condone the illegal activity, which we don't. What was wait? What'd you say? If we condone the illegal activity, that's what we would do. But we don't condone that. Oh no, we are absolutely straight. We're we're pro legal activities <laughs> only. Right. Well, we're running up on an hour. Okay. Great. Offgridagorist.com. See you there. Peace out, everybody. Talk to you later. Later.